You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Stitch? Hey, hurry before... Oh, no! Jumpa! Jumpa, it's not working! Oh, no. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and we are looking at Lilo and Stitch 2. Stitch has a glitch, which, despite its title, is the third movie in the Lilo and Stitch quadrilogy. With me is Thrasher. I made sci-fi snacks. And Alex. Why, hello, hello. Yes, and what we have going on here is... uh, in case your listeners are wondering, not that it really matters, we originally recorded this episode and it got lost to a computer issue, so we're re-recording it. And uh, that happens sometimes in podcasting, so there you go. But yeah, Lilo and Stitch 2, this one I, I guess you'd call an interquel, because it takes place after the first movie, but before uh, Stitch the movie, and before the television show. It. It could, I, I, hypothetically, this could take place the following weekend after the end of the first film. You're right. Yeah, it is one of those things. But where... there's nothing that really places it. Uh, but now I've seen this movie twice. Oh, no. What a what a fate. But you said it's better with ROM. I think that's true with most movies, isn't it? <laughs> yes. No, no. This this particular film is, is much better with ROM. And I now, like, I... This, of course, the original recording is lost to time. I said some very harsh things about this movie, and revisiting it through the filter of rum, I realized this isn't too bad of a movie. It just completely destroys itself in the last <laughs> seven minutes. Yeah, it, what I like about it is it's more gentle, uh, kind of like the original film. That it's not huge, high stakes. Uh, some of these movies in the Lilo and Stitch series are all about. You have to have these action scenes that are, you know, no better or no worse than the the spaceship stuff at the end of the first one. And but it really is sort of about the heart um, of these characters, although I have to add the the cover art of this, I find kind of creepy. You have Stitch in a hula outfit dancing on a looks portable record player. And Lilo is holding this piece of paper that's very important to this movie, the drawing of how good and how bad stitches where he she fills it up with crayon but it just struck me can you erase crayon no you keep on doing new drawings i mean that's a pretty wasteful way to do it this is before the days of ipads so we can can only presume that she had that that's not actually crayon in this movie it's colored pencil and that's why he's able to erase it although colored pencil doesn't erase easily yeah yeah you have to put some effort into it you know Oh, maybe it's that blue that blue pencil that is often used in the comic book industry. Ah, uh, that that light blue, yeah, kind of translucent stuff. 
Um, a, a bit of trivia on on this one, and I didn't really notice, so that shows how much I pay attention to these things. Davy Chase, who voiced Lilo in all the other films, does not voice Lilo. It's done by Dakota Fanning, but for my money, she sounds just as good. I, I think she did a good job doing a sound alike. And uh, apart from the original movie, this is the only movie where David Coenna reprises his role as Jason Scott Lee. Or, uh, scratch that, reverse it. Jason Scott Lee reprises the role of the boyfriend, uh, David Coenna. Yeah, and unlike the the other movies, they sort of give him something to do in this film. Not much, but yes, he has he has a little something here and there. Well, he, I mean, he, he strangely enough, his story is all about being second fiddle to Pleakley while Pleakley does shtick on his behalf. Which is some of like the best parts of the movie for me, humor wise. I, I always thought that was a great diversion, and again, just kind of like establishing Pleakley as this like gender fluid type, you know, being. Um, which is, uh, I always thought was a lot of fun there. Well, and they don't make a big deal out of it. And although it is a punchline, uh, I think especially in the first film, it just, you know, the wearing the dresses and doing that kind of uh, dress-up stuff is just something that Pleakley enjoys. And it it just moves on with it. And it doesn't make it a huge focus or a big dramatic thing. And I think that's, that especially for when this came out in 2005, you didn't see that a lot in cartoons or otherwise sort of in mainstream media. Um, but yeah, so it begins with a, this movie begins with like a nightmare and, you know, it, it, it is worth repeating that lest you forget <clears throat> Stitch, it was meant to be an agent of destruction as cute as he looks, as much as he, he talks English more in these films than in the original well, yeah the the whole the whole opening it's 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 him in the escape craft he stole in the first film, uh, heading towards Earth. But instead of crashing like he does in the film, he flies around Hawaii, blowing stuff up and engaging in a reign of terror. Uh, and it's and it's pretty fun and exciting. Uh, and then uh, and uh, it's and Lilo you know shows up and she gets scratched by him. Uh, and then it cuts to Lilo waking Stitch up in bed. It's like, oh, you had another nightmare, huh? Sounds like a bad one. And then it goes into the first like bit of shtick in this movie, which I love, which is Lilo pretending to be a therapist. <laughs> and I definitely got a uh, like a Peanuts vibe from that, where it reminds mm-hmm. me of um, uh, you know Charlie Brown and uh, Lucy doing like the shrink Lucy. bit, you know, with a notepad and everything. Yeah, like <laughs> Stitch is on this improvised couch, just speaking his alien gibberish, and she's <laughs> making all these comments. And then he's like, "Oh, I see. So you're paranoid that your that your goodness level is decreasing." And she brings out that that crown drawing we mentioned earlier that is also used in the in the first film. He's like, "But but but you know, you're clearly an evil. Would an evil person let this vintage Elvis 1972 lamp get destroyed?" And Lilo just starts doing it she she starts doing terrible things around the house and stitch keeps like stopping her and saving the day oh i i I absolutely love that you know would you let would you i mean wouldn't would a bad person let their friend fall to an agonizing death and she throws herself off the bunker i mean they it's a really a missed opportunity they could have done lilo and stitch stitch three lilo has a therapist You have the alien stitch as a kind of the therapist for um, the island of Kauai. But you you have all this in the beginning. And then there's a lot of business about the hula class, which, as I recall, was something 
in the original film. And I can't think of when I was in, at least certainly in elementary school, you would have these recitals every year. You'd have to do these same sort of skits or something with your class. And it's just sort of, I don't know if it's accurate. I didn't grow up in Hawaii or anything, but maybe every you know public high school has mandatory like hula dances they have to do is something yeah i remember doing the electric slide and stuff like that yeah yeah i actually fell down a flight of stairs from the electric slide i was in the auditorium and it was like near this little like you know went downstairs to the next level and you have to like you know turn yourself around and i I took a tumble it's probably more dramatic uh, now that i'm talking about it but i think i fell down like three stairs but it was funny you know, I knew it. I knew it. The electric slide kills. Exactly. I've been saying it for years. But so something I, something I noticed about this. Yeah. The uh, and, uh, you know, Lilo continues to have tension with the redhead girl, Myrtle, who they 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 cranked her bitchitude up a bit in this film. Mm-hmm. But one, th- one thing I noticed, there, there's a there's a it's it's all part of a, a festival that the island is doing. Yeah, that there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be this hula recital and it's a competition. There's like a there's a, a first prize that we never really find out what that is, other than you came in first. But so, something something I, I that occurred to me and I t- didn't notice it until the second viewing. We never see the only part of the festival we see that presumably involves the whole island is specifically the hula competition, but also this huge festival. They're given three days to prepare for it. <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's nothing. I mean, I thought of you know my high school days when I would do the high school theater drama stuff. I mean, you would, yeah, it would take months to even put on even to do a, a one act or something for a competition. It would take like six weeks to do practice every day, then rehearsal and dress rehearsal and all these things, and to pull off this big hula thing in three days is pretty ridiculous. But you got to have that ticking time clock to give some sense of urgency. Well, yeah, but it's, it's sort of, it's so, it's so artificial, especially, Mm. especially since like by the time Lilo figures out what her routine's going to be, they only have a day left to prepare. Right. And then the timeline of the movie gets weird because it feels like after that, it feels like several days pass. Like, I think there's even like multiple bedtime scenes after (laughs) that. Like, they don't even, like, match up with the amount of days. And I think that was another thing, like you said, if it was like, you know, oh, I've been practicing this for months, it would add a little more dramatic gravitas to, to it all, you know, instead it's just kind of like a one-off thing, like, ugh, three days, well, yeah. well, the thing is, like, the, the emotional stakes, I think, are already high enough because her, her hula instructor uh, shows her this old photo from 1973. It's a photo of Leela's mother when she was Lilo's age, and, you know, and he talks about how, you know, it back back in back in the day, her mother was the one who came in first and had this really great routine. And so for for Lilo, it's a whole thing about connecting, connecting to her dead mother and, and like doing justice to her memory. But the movie kind of forgets that that's what it's about about halfway through. Yeah, I mean, I think I even forgot that's what it was about until you had mentioned it there. It was um, it was just kind of seemed like a. Almost not a throwaway, but um, it could have it could have been utilized a little bit better there. But I think it's I think it's really smart that we only ever see Lilo's mother through the photo and through one really delightful scene where she and Nani are reminiscing. Like I like that we don't get any flashbacks. Like it, 
there right we can't it, like sort of, picture it helps her us, it, it helps it like establishes that there's kind of kind of a barrier and we, we never really we never i don't think we ever really find out how young lilo was when their parents died but i kind of get the sense that she was just young enough that maybe she didn't have many memories of her parents formed yet right because lilo's got to be like you know what seven uh, they do establish that she is seven years old okay wow all right yeah so you know if it happened two three years ago you know it's a, but it's a, it'd have to be at least old enough where she remembers something yeah but, yeah not well i think that's where the 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 reminiscing scene like, this is this is like right before the third act uh, uh that uh nani comes up and and you know she and lilo get in a fight and Lilo just like picks up a pillow and starts hitting her. And it's a very sort of honest, emotional, raw scene. It was like, you're helping, but you're bad at it. And it doesn't work. Uh, and, and they both kind of exhaust each other. Then they flop back in the bed and they look up through a skylight, which isn't in any other scene in that room. I want to point out. Right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then out, out of nowhere, Nani's like, Hey, you remember how mom used to make up these funny constellations? Where's the stinky cheese, man? Oh, he's right up there next to the big old bag of garbage, which is right underneath a woman with the chihuahua head. And it's just—it's so sweet. It is sweet and it's cute and it does feel—it definitely returns to like the the nice balance between the you know sci-fi and the you know dramatic family stuff that was in the first uh, film. And um, one thing I, I thought was interesting is that like when when stitches glitches happen when he. Like you said, I think last time when he really just like hulks out, you actually do get a feeling that like this guy is dangerous. You know what I mean? Like uh, you you do really feel something there, and that like while well, he's this you know lovable little scamp, he's also kind of terrifying at times. And you know you have to ask yourself that question. You know, is it a safe thing to have this this little critter around? Well, that's the th- so this this movie is only an hour and nine minutes long, and it's almost a half hour into the film before stitches glitches really like really become an issue. Um, but yeah, the, the whole, there's a bit, there's a flashback where, uh, Jamba explains to Pleakley that when the intergalactic police came to arrest him, he hadn't finished, you know, cooking stitch like after, and we get, we get a nice flashback to the day stitch was born in, in, in the jar in his lab and the whole, and like he was supposed to be, charged with energy to bond his molecular structure, but the galactic police stopped the experiment before he could finish it. So Stitch's molecular cohesion is breaking down, but it manifests by him getting these glowing green eyes and going on these destructive rampages. Um, And this is where the movie's... This is the movie's original sin, quite frankly, is everything that happens from that point forward, absolutely everything could have been prevented if Jamba and Pleakley had just talked to Lilo, Stitch, and Nani and explained what was going on. Because, like, and, and you know, they, they make a big deal about being a family in the Aloha spirit, but, like, twice now in my life, I've had a relative get a potentially life-threatening diagnosis. And you know what my family did? They didn't shut up about it. We all sat down in one room and got mm. everyone on the same page about what the diagnosis was and what we could do about it. But in this movie, for absolutely no reason, Jabba and Pleakley never mentioned to Lilo, Stitch, Nani, or anybody else what's going on. But just one word, 
would have caused so much heartache. And it's not like it's born out of like their their characters. Their inability to discuss Stitch's problem is completely unmotivated. Yeah, and um, you do get like a little bit of a forewarning for when he's going to glitch out. Like his eyes get all, you know twitchy so like if you again if you have this dialogue or if you, you had a small conversation about it, you could see like oh he's about to freak out i can put him in a little molecular barrier or you know what i mean some little MacGuffin type safety device or something like that but, and, and yeah. yet this whole thing about the device where they can you know kind of rebalance his programming between good and evil um I think that's somewhat dissat- unsatisfying because not only does it come sort of later in the film than you would like and they kind of bring it out only when convenience, but you have, um, why not have the story that Stitch makes the realization that he needs to be a better, uh, not person, but alien, right? Well, that his the... actions have consequences. Like why have a magic machine be what fixes well, him? Two, two problems is that one, that was the first movie. True. Uh, yeah, but I mean, right. <laughs> but two, you know, he he doesn't make choices that make him glitch out. The glitching just happens, Happen. yeah, and he just gets destructive. He, yeah. he has no choice in the matter. <laughs> like the machine he, doesn't make yeah. him good. It just stays. It just charges his molecules, which is just a forced a forced bad sci fi thing. <laughs> and they could have integrated it. Yeah, I think better in the story, maybe even earlier or or something. I don't know because you have it. Just feels like something added to add time to the movie because a lot of what you have going on between uh, Lilo and Stitch is they're trying to find uh, inspiration for the hula dance and um, they go to these places that uh, Elvis went to. And that gives, uh, that's some good, you get some good uh, cute bits of business there. Like when she like, has some like smell the bench that Elvis sat on and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Was... Oh yeah. That was him. Yep. <laughs> oh, no, it's really fun. And it's all set to that that really nice mix of a, of the Elvis song, a little less conversation, a little more action, lots of Elvis music in this. Yeah, yeah. There's just it's just, it's a fun it's a fun music montage without becoming a full on musical number. But the the other thing I love though, it is something very true about inspiration is they go all over the island visiting these places that Elvis visited, and then they still have like no they they still have like no idea for for a hula thing. And there's even a little montage before then of them throwing out crazy ideas like, ooh, vampires, <laughs> mummies, uh, and they do some stick. But, and then she's sort of, she's just ready to give up. And then as she's walking home through the rain, they pass a gas station where the two gas station attendants got nothing else to do. So they've got out uh, drums and a ukulele and are singing this old folk song. And then in that moment, she gets her inspiration and she wants to do a whole thing about the uh, about a, uh, about a, about this uh, this folk song about a uh, Hawaiian goddess and her. It, I I couldn't find much information about this, uh, like whether whether it's the Hawaiian goddess and like her best friend or in the original legend if they're lovers. Yeah, it was kind of kind of vague. I thought figure I figured it was just you know they probably just used this little folktale as a springboard for the story, and like. Um... It is it is kind of true though when you say like they go, they go on this great tour of all the all these um, hallmarks and stuff like that and what they come up with is something completely irrelevant and you know it's like there's so many times where I'll be trying to prepare for like an article or something and you know I'm like oh, I'll watch horror movies and it'll get me excited to write about horror movies and then I just get excited about what I'm watching and I don't really get an inspiration for anything. Oh, speaking of horror movies, one of the best scenes in this 
Well, uh, this is uh, is uh, Nadi's been planning a big family fun night for all of them and uh, and her boyfriend David. And so, like, she has like sci-fi, the sci-fi stacks, these really gorgeously rendered, like you can tell what they are, like that, like Jello mold spider with like with uh, like Chorito and Chorito legs, um, but they uh, and things like that. And they're all ga- gathered on the TV to watch old sci-fi movies, and they watch they watch them. And I love it when cartoon characters watch live-action movies, which is so cool too. And it. Uh, it does remind me of um, of John Carpenter's Halloween when you see them watching um, uh, the thing from the Howard Hawks, the thing from another planet. Mm. Oh yeah, and um, and it's funny because uh, a lot of times in like some you'll see uh, they'll you know they'll what they'll do is that they'll parody a real life movie but just in the animation style in that world. But no, they actually play footage from them, and it's it, kind of awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, it strangely grounds the movie, and I, I also love that bit where. Uh, Pleakley like reaches his hand into this vat and pulls out this like eyeball. What what is this? Oh, alien eyeball dumplings. Oh, is this a sick joke? <laughs> Naturally, he would have contention with that because you know. Oh eyeballs. yeah. Well, that's got... Pleakley is the star of this movie, as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, no, that's he the is. What... thing. Why Pleakley didn't get his own spinoff or even like a cooking show or something is uh, I'll, I'll have no idea. It's but. Even though he's not in the movie a whole lot, you know, he makes the most of his, his moments. And he does have that kind of subplot that goes on with uh, the boyfriend character, David. <laughs> yeah, he's been he's been as part of his research into Earth. He's been watching talk shows and reading uh, relationship magazines. And he yeah. And, and because Nani is so busy doing the family fun night stuff and working, she hasn't had time to hang out with David. And David keeps trying to, like, ask her out on dates. And, and after one of his disastrous attempts to ask her on a date, Pleakley just comes in with a relationship magazine. Well, you know, according to this quiz, your relationship is fizzling. <laughs> and uses all these buzzwords and then decides to help him get Nani. Oh, it's very simple. We just need to make Nani jealous. <laughs> and from that point on, Pleakley keeps having like fake dates with David to get Nani jealous. I love it too because it, it really does feel like it's like a combination of like an old Peter Sellers movie with like the Monty Python level of like silliness. And I love uh, Nani's reaction to it because she's, you know, she sees right through it and she's just kind of playing into it she's like oh well like you know when Pleakley's posing as like what like a Swedish exchange Swiss exchange student or something yeah. my name is Inga I'm an exchange student and I am so amazed by his muscles oh yeah this... <laughs> are you jealous <laughs> no <laughs> so wonderful and then like later when like he showed when David shows up dressed as a matador <laughs> he's like uh, I want you to know that I have many options and you're, and he's he's repeating right. Pleakley's lines. You're not the only fish in the sea. And then Pleakley shows up with the castanets <laughs> and does does a whole dance. And then just kind of leaves in. Jealous. <laughs> I, I felt like I was watching like an Alma Dovar movie or something like that. Like <laughs> it was great. My favorite, my favorite Pleakley bit before we get back onto the movie though is when Jamba witnesses one of Stitch's glitches. He goes, he runs off to the spaceship to check his notes to confirm what's wrong. And while he's doing that, Pleakley's just running after him. Hey, Jamba, what's going on? Include me! Include me! <laughs> yeah, like he's they're they're supporting characters, uh, Pleakley and Jamba, but they are like the funnest part of this movie and the other and the following movie as well. 
Um, and Kevin McDonald, he really sells it. He's got this great voice, and he does wonderful things with it. And like I said, he can he has he can take really simple line readings and just make them hilarious. Like include me, you know. He's just um, really really sells it and makes it uh, makes the movie so much more fun. It's very inspiring uh, his work in this. I I did wish he had more to do, and uh, perhaps in the TV show he has some fun bits. I have no idea, but. Because there, there were several seasons of that television show of Lilo and Stitch. There were two, and I, I didn't watch any of these, but I actually, after re-watching this movie, I did flip through, I did flip through um, the episodes that were available online just to see if there might be anything worth watching for, like, supplementary material. Um, I was hoping to find a last episode that kind mm. of sets up everything for Leroy and Stitch. It, it doesn't. It exists in a vacuum. But in yeah. the second season... About every three episodes is a crossover with another Disney Channel animated property of the time. You know, yeah, I watched I watched a, a bit of the Kim Possible crossover, and yeah, it seemed very weird and forced. And you do that like once, like okay, but you do it several times, it, it comes off as as a bit tacky, frankly. But as as this film wraps up, I think you do have a good kind of moment of kind of what this movie should have been where you have this emotional thing between Lilo and Stitch, where you see, oh, uh, Lilo's about to go on and do a presentation at the hula dance, but Stitch can tell he's about to glitch and he has to run away right when he's supposed to go on and help his friend uh, do the presentation. Yeah, and there's this kind of like, almost like tear, tearful goodbye. And this is and this is after several of his glitches have like destroyed costumes, wrecked a mm-hmm. rehearsal, and, and really caused, caused a lot of problems. And they have a, a real intense falling out. I love this hula competition, though, because we see all the other girls. They all have, like, different themed costumes. And, like, Myrtle's whole, like, Myrtle's whole thing is her hula routine is an ad for her father's tchotchke store. (laughs) (laughs) But something I love, and we, this, this, this was something that we touched on when we did our initial recording, but... Aside from Myrtle's bit, Myrtle's dance and Lilo's dance at the very end, we don't see any of the other dances in the competition. We also never find out who wins, but I sincerely hope it's the Pineapple Girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was the thing I thought was um, kind of strange. For, for all the hype uh, built around the dance, you don't get a lot of um, um, dance info. But like you were saying earlier, I do like that they, they, they crank up the, uh, the, the you know, villain factor on Myrtle because she really does they really do a really good job of selling her as a as a you know really you know bratty um you know just painting the ass character who really knows how to get under you know Lilo's skin um but yeah though it is a it is a little bit of a tearful goodbye and um the build-up to it I think you know it makes some good suspense too during the uh, competition and we know that Stitch is going to have his titular glitch um, there's a great line reading around this time where it's like literally those just like getting ready to go on. Well, what if my routine is stinky? And what if Myrtle makes fun of me? And what if I pound her? <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's such a good Lilo line because she, you know, she's a little kid, and at the end of the day, and lines like that is something that you, like a little kid would say, and she has these outbursts. Um, Kind of like Stitch, but not not as violent, not with as many repercussions. Uh, but I mean, the you mentioned earlier, Thrasher, the last like few minutes of this film are just irritating, and I have to agree because they try to build up to this big moment, 
Yeah, it, it, they try to do a thrilling climax because uh, Stitch, you know, realizing you know that his glitches are becoming more frequent and prolonged, he steals that he steals Jamba's spaceship and goes off to uh, plot a course for an uninhabited asteroid, which would have been his fate in the first film if he hadn't stolen a ship and crashed on Earth. Irony, um, and uh, and this is also like when Jamba and Pleakley. After a lot of futzing about and a and a bit about toast, a pretty funny bit about toast, oh, yeah. have built a new molecular charging station from Earth technology, and they need to get him get him in it. And they're uh, try and and uh, so they they you know Lilo abandons the recital. They give chase in uh, in uh, Nani's punch buggy, uh, which has the hovercraft from the first film in it. I'm glad there's that bit of continuity, um, but. There's God. There's this great bit. If only we could contact Stitch, and then Pleakley is just on his communicator. I know, Mom. It's horrible. Stitch has stolen a spacecraft, and we have no way to communicate with him. <laughs> oh God, that was one. Just one. One like other. Just quick exchanges when they all pile into the car and peel out. Pleakley just leans forward. I think I should drive. <laughs> Let me drive. And I was like, No, my car, my sister. I will drive. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and the the, uh, the spaceship uh, crashes. Uh, he glitches. The ship crashes uh, into a mountainside. Lilo takes the uh, hovercraft up there while everyone else has to climb the mountain. And this is this is when the movie undoes itself because um, Lilo uh, stitches in a real bad shape. She puts him in the molecular charging station, uh, turns it on, uh, but it doesn't work, and Stitch dies. And Stitch is quote unquote dead for long enough that you might think that they're going to stick to it, uh, but they don't. Uh, she pulls him out of the chamber. She has a whole tearful moment. And in echoing the whole story about the goddess and her friend and how love is stronger than death, you know, she starts crying over Stitch. And then suddenly Stitch wakes up and the meter on the side of the charging station just shows his molecular energy completely fill up. And I had a whole rant the first time we did this, but this scene infuriates me because it comes off as such, such a lie because you like, and, and let, unless you really believe in reincarnation, you know, you don't get to come back from actual death and by having, and, and, and and it's and it's not like you know it's not like you know oh Jamba's calculations are wrong he needed more time to bake or Lilo's tear hit a part of the machine causing it to short out and supercharge and that's what saves Stitch. It is an honest to God miracle that brings him back from the dead, and it creates a really disturbing implication, which is that the only reason Lilo and Nani's parents are dead is they didn't love them enough. In this quarter on the Greenlit Podcast Network, Chris Sims and Matt Wilson. And in this quarter, VHS oddities, confusing animation, and modern not-so-classics. Plus snacks, movie fighters. We watch movies and beat them up. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast covers the latest Nintendo news while also diving into what's hot in pop culture, music trivia, hands-on impressions, and so much more. Hopefully we can make you laugh, too. You'll find new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network every single week. Yeah, it's really mm. awkward. And I remember thinking when I when I first saw this, I was like, oh, they're really taking it to right to the edge, you know? And creating the suspense of, you know, is he going to make it? Is he going to not? And then he doesn't. And I was kind of sitting there like, oh, holy shit. Like, they went there with that. Wow, I, like, what are they going to do next? And then, like you said, it's just, Bring! 
like, and like, okay, magic exists, and here we and, go. And it could be, like, it could have been done more artfully. It could have been done more as a, as a coincidence. It could have been, you know, Jabba, oh, my yeah. calculations must have been off. But instead, you know, it's flat out, like, completely says, but... How did this? How did this happen? And like, how can this happen? It can't. It's impossible. Right. That's. Oh, like, I think it. that's one of the most problematic lines in that scene where he says, oh, it's, good. "It's impossible," and he's the great, you know, scientific scientific mind behind all these things. And for him to like confirm, you know, it's impossible, but of course it, you know, it's not because it happened, and it, it undercuts a lot of um, logic. And like you said, that like the thing with the parents and like you know, love triumphs all. It's very awkward and clumsy. And, and and even beyond that, if 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 Lilo's love can bring him back from the dead and bond all of his molecules together, why did her love only bond his molecules together then and not during the several months they lived together? <laughs> True. They're still in the honeymoon phase, you know. Yeah. But you got to end with the song, so uh, it ends with them. Uh, actually, they all get on stage and they all do Lilo's uh, dance together, and that and that's you know kind of sweet. And Nani kisses David, and yeah, you know, everything everything's tied up in a bow. But it's a little, it's too because of that outright miracle. It's a little, it's just too nice and neat. And the the movie in that moment, the movie kind of undoes all the goodwill it earned from me. And like I remember. Th- I, you know, I always do this and it's always like, you know, if I, the, I, if I ran the zoo kind of mentality, but like, there's so many different avenues you could have pursued. You could have pursued like, uh, you know, magical Hawaiian folklore thing for, you know, reincarnation or, you know, some science mumbo jumbo or, you know, he's an, he's a mutant alien. There's so many different things that could possibly go on. Like, oh, we didn't know he had a, you know, calcium deposit, which made his bloop-a-doop work better or something like and you don't take advantage of all that. It's just like love, you know. It's uh, thin. You know, we we should have just take Stan Bush's "The Touch" and play it over the scene where he comes back to life. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, so um, there is this 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 is one thing that actually kind of bothered me a bit in in this in this film. Well, two two things is that is that one. So, do people know there are aliens on the island or not? Right, and, and I realized part of the humor is that Jamba and Pleakley's disguises can't possibly disguise who slash what they are, but David knows they're aliens. Like it's it's like at this point, especially with the order these movies have been released in, like can you can people just know they're aliens? Do we do we really like? You can still have disguises because Pleakley likes to dress up, but like why? Like, why Why do they need to keep hidden if there's, like, no consequences to them just walking around? Right. And also, aren't there a bunch of, um, aren't there a bunch of, like, aliens, like, doing stuff around the island? Well, yeah, although presumably this takes place before that. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, which is um, kind of confusing. The the other thing that, that I noticed, especially, like, it's kind of in all the other Lilo and Stitch movies, but I really noticed it here because the animation is overall pretty decent is they must have really regretted stitch's original character design they do everything they can to not show stitch with all of his alien features exposed right when you think like around the house why not have four arms and antennae like what's what's the point of keeping them in 
clean stuff and, you know, do some cool acrobatic shit. Do cool and, spider uh, Right, and that's the other thing. Like you said, David knows Jumbo and Pleakley's, you know, costumes are, are obviously very transparent. Um, and, you know, like, I wouldn't be able to keep that under my hat if I was David. <laughs> I would probably show somebody. Right. So, I mean, I think overall, Lone Stitch 2, Stitch has a glitch. Um, I, I would give it sequel, yes. I like that it's a more simple story. I like that it's a bit more grounded. I agree, though, that the ending isn't great, and it could have used a polish or something. It it feels like it's missing a little something there, but uh, I certainly liked it better than the last one we talked about, Stitch the Movie. Um, so it, it has some heart to it, which it's... Uh, you know, it's just almost there. It's hard is in the right place. It just doesn't quite stick the landing. I would say a sequel, yes. Uh, Alex? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's thin in some parts, but it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's got some good stuff going for it. So I give it, you know, a, a thin sequel, yes, despite, um, you know, so I would say the, uh, the fun points compensate for the little more transparent points. I'm... Gonna give it a sequel, no, because that climax mm. really tanks the movie. And you know, beyond that, like the the structure is is way off. Stitches glitches should have been introduced earlier. The characters should have had a a uh, a better response to them. Like you could still, so much of this movie could you could still make work if Jamba and Pleakley had just been honest about Stitches Stitches condition. But that, yeah, that that ending just unravels this whole thing for me. Uh, the only thing that's really worth watching is the family movie night and Pleakley's uh, adventures with David trying to make Nani jealous. That is pure <laughs> comedy gold. Uh, but every, every everything else, the movie, the movie just undoes itself. It's like a snake eating its own tail, but then it actually succeeds and eats itself and like pops into another dimension. Right. Great, so now let's do uh, pitch a sequel. I will begin. So I'm thinking, you know, do I want it since this takes place between the first one and the second one? Would it be after this movie? Would it, you know, where would it take place? And I think uh, I, I would have it, I would do uh, Baby Stitch. In that uh -huh. Stitch is being created, but he's kind of smaller, isn't quite grown, they don't quite have him but all the way together yet. And he escapes as a, as a baby and it would come to a surprisingly dark ending where you have a uh, hamster veal, the, the partner, right. That helped create him draws a gun on baby stitch and threatens to shoot him. And, um, uh, that would be a weird kind of dark scene to end it <laughs> yes, on. Yes, it would. And it, it would get a lot of complaints from parents and so forth, but it would be like this kind of rock'em sock'em, uh, you know, slapsticky adventure with baby stitch making all these messes and in, in the laboratory. And then at the end you have this kind of scene where baby stitch with a gun in its mouth. So <laughs> I, I, I would just call it baby stitch, maybe Lilo and stitch origins, baby stitch. I think that's what I would call it. You know, to save time, you can just put the address where people should send their letters of complaint right there in the title. Well, and, and the cover would be like the old uh, National Lampoon cover where it has a gun to Baby Stitch's head and it says, if you don't buy this DVD, we'll shoot this alien. <laughs> and then, like, all the cast members in bikinis running around. 
<laughs> Thrasher. All right, so I I wanted I want to do Lilo and Stitch and David and Pleakley. Uh, I loved I loved the interactions between David and Pleakley in this movie. That I just want that to be the movie. Uh, and so, like the idea is, you know, uh, uh, David and Nani, their relationship is developing. Um, their their relationship is is developing to the point where where they might uh, where they might uh, get married. And Pleakley is just so enamored that he might get to study an Earth wedding up close that he really tries to accelerate the relationship. But part, but part of that involves like hanging out with David. Like, oh, David's the coolest guy on the island. I want to learn how to be cool. And it's Pleakley kind of like wanting to learn how to be a dude and like and you know trying to learn how to surf and do all these other things with David and just being generally comically bad at everything. But that's only because I wanted to have a real be true to yourself message. Which, which you know, will will be expressed with you know, Pleakley continuing to be gender fluid and putting on these feminine costumes and being really good at these like different feminine things and realizing he doesn't have to be like he doesn't he doesn't have to be this like ultimate ultimate like masculine dude. Hmm. And what would the title be again? Uh, it would be a Lilo and Stitch and David and Pleakley. <laughs> like Bob, Ted, and Carol now. Yeah. <laughs> something like that their wife and her lover <laughs> and the cook and the yes. barkeep soldier spy yeah <laughs> of course a star wars story uh alex call new orleans um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm gonna do this one on the fly here so it turns out that um you know while uh, lilo's love brought stitch back because it was that much. It actually wasn't that much, and he does die. And oh, so what okay. happens is that in the uh, Aloha tradition, um, they have to give him a traditional, um, you know, mutant alien burial, which is a cremation by volcano. So they make a, you know, a Viking-esque, you know, funeral pyre and you know, a little wooden everything, and they and they chuck him in the volcano, and it's a very sad, mournful thing. But what happens is that his DNA somehow survives the the liquid hot magma and what happens is that there's all these other um aliens that were frozen in the volcano that become reawakened by the presence of of lilo's uh dna swimming around there and they come out of the volcano and what happens is that they um happen to befriend a very morning um lilo and uh, it turns out that these were um aliens sent by xenu centuries I was waiting before for this. <laughs> and Mm. And uh, Pleakley and Jumba have to stabilize their DNA in order to keep them um, on the planet Earth because not only are they interesting and for him to study, but they are also the origin of all of um, you know the fears and sadnesses of mankind. <laughs> and it's going to be called um, uh, Lilo versus the Volcano. Not a Scientology it. story. <laughs> Does uh, John Travolta do a guest voiceover role? Oh, he's the narrator. Yeah. <laughs> he's the narrator. Very good. All right. Well now it's now it's on to uh what you're watching. Uh, Alex, what have you been watching? Um I got this um I went crazy in the summer uh, the start of the summer because Aero Video had a Blu-ray sale. And I got this Vincent Price Gothic Tales box set. Mm. And it's got all of the great Vincent Price post stuff, the AIP post stuff, uh, House of Usher, Pit in the Pendulum, Raven. Tales of Terror and Tumologia. And it's got this other one that I had never seen, The Haunted Palace. And while I'd seen all these other ones, I was 
you know, kind of like what's this Haunted Palace movie all about, whatever. And I checked it out, and it's actually a Lovecraft story. It's a Vincent Price Lovecraft story. And it's like one of the first Lovecraftian horror movies that had been filmed because he was so, so much of his work was considered unfilmable. And it turns out that while I love all of the classic Poe Corman flicks, this little Haunted Palace flick I had never seen before ended up being really cool. And it's got a lot of weird Lovecraftian stuff. And it's really interesting seeing how Roger Corman adapting, adapting Lovecraft on his typical, um, you know, fast and loose shoestring budget style of filmmaking. So it's a real atmospheric, cool um, offshoot in the Corman Poe Vincent Price series. Oh, that's, that's the one based on the case of Charles Dexter Ward, isn't it? I want to see. Yeah, I believe so. But for marketing, they said it was based on the Edgar Allan Poe story because all the other Ed, Edgar Allan Poe stories for Corman right. did so well. Uh, Better name recognition at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is an import set, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Region B one. That's uh, part of the reason I went so crazy on the sale. Right. I mean, a lot of the um, the Region One releases of these Vincent Price things. Uh, I forget the company that been they've been doing like Vincent Price kind of sets, but not nothing where most of the post stuff is collected in one. Well, that was the thing. Yeah, Shout Factory did a bunch of uh, Price collections, and they look and sound great. But what they did is that yeah, they they'd mix them up. You'd get like Tower of London. House of Usher and then, you know, Theater of Blood or something like that. And um, it was kind of frustrating. Then the best one of the bunch went out of print. Mm. So it just kind of jumbled it all up. So I just kind of went off the reservation and went with the Region B Blu-ray uh, price collection. But uh, Haunted Palace really stuck out to me. I thought that was a lot of fun. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, I like the black cat, it looks like, on the, the cover. Oh, yeah. No, it's very cool. Good cover design. Um I watched a movie I'd been meaning to see for a bit, and it was, uh, I think, in my opinion, kind of worse than the reviews made it out to be. This is the 2019 film Shaft. Oh. So this is the, the fifth oh, yeah. film in the Shaft series, and for those that might be confused, you have Shaft, Shaft's Big Score, Shaft in Africa, Shaft, and Shaft. Um, <laughs> so there's three films in this five-film series just named Shaft, but this is a sequel to the last one named Shaft from uh, 2000 and something. So in 2000, this sequ- exactly. This is the sequel to the John Singleton Shaft. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because it's got Which, Sam Jackson in it, right? Yeah, but also Richard Roundtree was in the John Singleton Shaft, and he's in this one too, playing the original Shaft. So they're Interesting. loose, loose tie-ins. Um, and I, I do like the poster says "more Shaft than you can handle." That's pretty funny. <laughs> but it, it's directed by Tim Story, who did the Ride Along movies, the Barbershop, and. Uh, uh, the fan, uh, two Fantastic Four movies from the late 90s. Or no, from the 2000s, early 2000s. And um, it's just not very good. You know, they make it more funny than 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 serious. They don't really make Shaft that sexy. It, it has the tired trope of the plot where Shaft has a son that he abandoned, but he abandoned him for good reasons, as it turns out. And his son is kind of a wimp, and his son has to sort of macho man up. And the son's played by Jesse Usher, who's not that good in this. Richard Roundtree's pretty good, but they don't use him that much. And yeah, it's, it, it's like three generations of Shaft. It looked very weird. Yeah, and but the third generation doesn't even come until near the end. And you get some good action near the end, but it's it, it's just so mixed. I think that the problem is, in my opinion, what makes like the original... I guess I'd say the first three Shaft movies 
good is they're kind of like a procedural. Uh, you give kind of a mystery in there. You have kind of a twisty plot. But but the plot here in this 2019 Shaft film is very, very simple. And uh, the bad guy isn't great. Even in the John Singleton Shaft film from 2000, you had both uh, Christian Bale and... Oh, geez, the name escapes me. Uh, he's in Westworld. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is the other bad guy, right? He had a really good oh, yeah. cast uh, with sort of an interesting plot. And... Um, this one I think is a lot worse. I, I would not recommend it. They don't even really use the Shaft song that much, except for little pieces in the score, which seems yeah. like a wasted opportunity. Maybe the ghost of Isaac Hayes demanded too much money. <laughs> Could be. I mean, they do sample it in the score, but then over the end credits, it has this awful rap number that kind of tells the plot about Shaft, which I, I kind of laughed about that, but... <laughs> But the weird thing is, in the United States, this got a theatrical release, and it didn't do that well. Uh, but everywhere else, this was straight to Netflix. Hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, it was funny, because I feel like... Did it, you guys see the 2018 uh, Superfly? No. No. It was actually decent. I kind of I went in thinking it was going to be stupid. And, you know, it's not great, but it's it's got some good things going for it. I think it was like marginally successful. I didn't know if that has something to do with maybe inspiring a Shaft reboot or whatever. Maybe. I, I mean, Singleton, I think, would have been up for doing a sequel to his 2000 Shaft, but it didn't quite do well enough or people were kind of on different pages on what they wanted. And um, some things just... I mean, this is the sequel cast two show after all, but some things don't need a sequel or it just seems... yeah. It felt like something they were doing to keep the rights to it. I don't really know. Uh, the The real kind of funny thing is that the Shaft is was originally a series of novels written by Ernest Tidyman, who is a white guy. Um, so that's an odd bit of trivia. And and the final right, Shaft, and... the final Shaft novel never came out in the U.S. It only came out in the U.K. Hmm. Like they're they're except for the first one, they're like all out of print and very expensive. I've been looking into them, but. Yeah, and like I think the well, the original Shaft movie I think was just a cop, like a regular just cop movie. It wasn't aimed as like a black exploitation film. But when Sweet Sweetback's badass song was such like a smash mm -hmm. success, they kind of jumped on the on the bandwagon and you know cast Dick Roundtree and put you know got the Isaac Hayes score going and the rest you know writes itself. Um, no, remember he's, he's yeah, not a cop; he's a private dick who's a sex machine. Right. All the chips, <laughs> all the chips. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Damn right. Yeah, but I did not dig the the Shaft 2019 film, uh, Thrasher. I so this this ties into Lilo and Stitch because I I watched a movie that is that due to several bits of dialogue in the movie it presents itself as a pseudo sequel to them. Uh, it's from uh, 2017. It's directed uh, and uh, by uh, Marco uh, Macalis uh, Macilisco. It's called It Came From The Desert. And this is something I just discovered today while getting some notes together. Uh, it's based on... It is based on a Cinemaware game from the Amiga from 1989. Oh, with the giant ants. Yeah, and, and like some of it like makes so much sense when you know that it's based on that kind of a video game. Um, but yeah, it's about a, it's about of like throwback 1980s motocross fans 
who go to a celebratory party in the middle of the desert, which happens to take place right next to a secret laboratory full of giant mutant ants. <laughs> How do the ants look? They're not bad. Uh, the CGI is pretty decent. They do, uh, uh, it, it's, I, I would, you know, I would say it's about the same level as, as a decent Starship Trooper sequel. Hmm. And, and like, they don't linger on the ants to the point where you see any gaps in the CGI, but also chitin tends to look better in CGI than something fleshy anyway. Um, but the movie has a really f fun, uh, sense of humor about itself, uh, it, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of jokes, but it's not too uh, winky. There is a there is a part of the movie where there's a security system in the military base. The security system is just the video game. There's security cameras with guns, and they get on this like Amiga controller type thing and use them to shoot ants. It's this kind of rail shooter thing. But it's 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 just so delightfully goofy, and once you once you realize the movie is very deliberately running on video game logic, it gets even better. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, it's called It Came from the Desert. All right, I gotta write this down. I should note there was two video games in that series. The second one is called It Came from the Desert Two: Ant Heads. And supposedly, I think because it may have shared a developer or two, the Command and Conquer Red Alert secret stages where you fight ants in an underground bunker was also a tribute to this. Um, yeah, it was uh, hidden it stages came. in Red Alert. It came from Red Alert, I think. Yeah, that's the one. Because in Command and Conquer, there is the hidden stage with the dinosaurs, but Yo, God, called, yeah, and called Fun end, Park. In the end, you fight an ant queen that can shoot lightning. <laughs> yep. Good times. Uh, all right, so now we're going to do the sequel scene. What do you have uh, pulled up for us, Thrasher? So this scene, uh, this is when when David, I'm uh, sorry, when the uh, hula instructor uh, visits, uh, brings Lilo home and visits Nani to talk about her behavior in class. Um, and David is there, and of course David is there too. Pleakley uh, and Jamba come out in their shitty disguises, pretending to be Uncle Jamba and Aunt Pleakley. <laughs> All right. So we're actually so, going to have four characters. We have Nani, we have David, uh, we have Pleakley, and we have Jamba. Hmm. hmm. Who wants to play what? Uh, I don't think I've done Jamba on one of these yet. Okay, you can be Jamba. Alex, any preference? I'll be Nani. Okay, I guess I'll be David and Pleakley. So, here we go. Alright. David, you remember my aunt Pleakley... <laughs> Sorry. David, you remember my aunt Pleakley and Uncle Jumba, right? Uh... Say something... Uh, nice hat. Why, thank you, David. See, Uncle Jumba said it made me look top-heavy. Aunt Pleakley wanted the truth. What we want and what we need are two entirely different things. You know what they say, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, though actually, in our case... And you know what? This, this brings up an interesting issue. They're putting on such a show for David, but doesn't David already know they're aliens? Yes. <laughs> Is it because there's other people in front of them, maybe? I, I kind of forgot the scene. Oh, yeah, I guess it is because the, the instructor is there. Yeah. How <laughs> odd. You know what? I, I feel like the what you want, what you need are two different things. Maybe that should have been the theme for this movie. 
Right. <laughs> it's not a bad idea, yeah. Um, okay, so sequel cast two. Next time we'll be talking about the final film in the Lilo and Stitch uh, quadrilogy, Leroy and Stitch. I hate all of the titles in this series. They're so confusing. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. You can follow me at, on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. Hello for sequel cast two. This is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Zane. Stitch good now. Satisfaction in